0: great filter is a phobos tech podcast all proceeds go to fund the stem theory research project inspired by the economic systems of both gene Roddenberry's star trek and ian m binks's culture series stem theory aims for a cleaner healthier future for all of humanity go to the great to like rate subscribe or follow us on spotify google podcasts apple podcasts and more The Great Filter has adopted the No Pass Directive. That's no placements, ads, spots, or sponsors. So check out the support link at thegreatfilterpodcast.com and consider becoming a monthly contributor. Options are as low as 99 cents per month. Thank you. Will we be the filtered or the filtrate? We human beings are social beings. We come into the world as the result of others' actions. We survive here in dependence on others. Whether we like it or not, there is hardly a moment of our lives when we do not benefit from others' activities. For this reason, it is hardly surprising that most of our happiness arises in the context of our relationships with others. Yalawa Rinpoche, the 14th Dalai Lama. God, man, what a quote, right? <laughs> it's a pretty awesome quote. Okay, so this is the second part of this episode, <laughs> Survival of the Shittiest. Uh, we, we'll kind of get to where that, uh, that title came from in a little bit, but um, b- before we get to that, which is much, much further, you know, towards the end of this episode, uh, l- let's do a quick review of what we went over in the last episode. That way we can get, you know, get everybody back up to speed so everybody can remember what we talked about. And so we can put this all together, uh, finish this up, and, and you know, wrap it up in a nice little packaged uh, bode present at the end of this episode. So um, the first thing I want to sort of make a small correction, right? The quote from yesterday was by, Alex Danko and the quote itself was from a blog entry that he wrote about a particular book now in the last episode uh, I said um, I called the book the first 5,000 years of debt which was totally incorrect Uh, the books actually called debt the first 5,000 years why I said that I don't know I've read the book twice so uh, you would think it should have come out of my face mouth In the appropriate form, but it didn't. Anyway, so I I said that we were going to get to that a little later. We're going to talk about that book, and we will in this episode, actually coming up pretty quickly here. Okay, and then we talked about evolution, and uh, I I went over what I thought were the biggest unique traits that humanity has, uh, aside (laughs) from the opposable thumb, I, I guess, that allowed humanity to just rise to the top of the food chain and you know uh, exert dominance over uh, over the planet. I then pose the question or the idea of whether or not those traits are going to be helpful or useful. Uh, should we find ourselves face to face with um, one of the many possible great filters? The two biggest traits I brought to light were um, our capacity for uh, working problems out, you know, our intelligence, our ability to really observe situations, to think into the future, to analyze and, um, you know, sort of construct little scenarios and simulations of different possibilities. And, right, so, so our intelligence, <laughs> I guess that was a long way to say intelligence. Okay, so intelligence and um, our social dynamic, the fact that we are a social creature the fact that uh, it, that we just simply need to work together um, in tribal units or you know uh, little social cliques in order to truly survive and you know put a footprint uh, on our country. And then to really drive the point home, I uh, I sort of described my my thought experiment. Uh, I call the body economic and so that's where we're at <laughs> uh, well uh, before we really get moving for this uh, this second parter here I I wanted to kind of well I guess it's not really a thought experiment and it's short and it's just kind of like I um an afterthought to uh, to the um. <laughs> the last one you know the body economic economic Wow having troubles so uh, this this kind of goes along the same lines but it's more um, I guess well I mean not that the human body is familiar I guess a more realistic (laughs) I mean you know the body economic has its its um, purpose right that there's there's a lot of sense that comes from it Um, being that natural systems work perfectly without economies, without currencies. So to really kind of drive the point home, I want to uh, just illustrate a small, quick situation that we are all familiar with. This, this isn't, uh, you know, uh, nobody's seen a talking heart and nobody's ever seen a brain put up a uh, shop and charge deliver liver for, <laughs> you know, for Neuronet or whatever you would call that sort of internet service anyway but what we all have experienced is being at work right everybody's been had some sort of a job or not even at work but you know in a family or whatever right at work suppose you were to just you know scale economy down to to that level too suppose you're on an assembly line and uh you're handing pieces to each other as you pass them down the assembly line. Well, suppose you were to sort of initiate an economy into the assembly line, right? So, um, you know, as before the guy hands the next guy, the piece to work on, or, you know, the piece that he just finished working on for the other guy to work on, um, an exchange has to take place. So, uh, the guy receiving the piece pays the guy handing the piece, handing him the piece, you know, whatever that piece is worth. And then he does his modification and then he sells it to the next guy. Okay. Again, sounds silly, right? It sounds like that's a weird thing to do. And it is. But my point is, that's what we are always doing. That's what an economy is it's a weird thing that we do um, uh, the reason you don't do it on an assembly line is because it wastes time it would be a waste of time right it would it would clog things up it would cause problems what if what if assembly line worker uh, 276 went you know went broke or had to file bankruptcy well who's gonna take his place they've got to find somebody with enough money to be able to take his place so he can continue the process right so even though it sounds silly you have to ask the question well then is there a resolution is there is a resolution factor where economy is efficient like how how far in can you zoom in to what is happening for before it's not efficient anymore is it a zoom in thing like once you start zooming into a company is that is that the breaking point where it becomes unproductive no it's not i'll just answer that for you right now it is always not productive uh, i mean imagine you know introducing the economy into a church or into the family right running your family with money like would that be productive no it wouldn't it would not be productive would it be productive to uh um, you know everybody that gave up and gave a talk at church not that i don't go to church or anything but you know what i'm saying i'm i'm trying to illustrate a point to you know charge for that or for you know i mean within the uh, the police precinct right say Every time the police call for backup, he has to pay all of his buddies for coming to to back him up. Like th- there's a, the idea that we are okay with economy at one particular like I guess focal plane and all the others not is so bizarre because you know you start thinking about it on other focal planes, and other resolutions like within, (laughs) on an assembly line, or at work, or, you know, at, uh, you know, wherever, right? I I just gave a bunch of examples. And you immediately know that it would be uh, unproductive. You immediately know that it would cause problems. Instinctually, you immediately know it. Yet, we are totally okay with the fact that our entire livelihood and existence is run by economy. It's the same fucking process. It's the same fucking concept. And the fact that you intuitively know that would it would fuck shit up on an assembly line should be a red flag to you. It should tell you that, hmm, maybe there is something weird about the fact... That we have money and we exchange it and we have an economy Okay, so that's just kind of the little addendum. I wanted to kind of throw out there Um, (laughs) Probably ranted about that for a little bit longer than I should have but uh, yeah, let's move on Wait, wait, okay (laughs) One more thing before we move on uh, I will no longer uh, run that that anchor ad at the beginning of the, of the episode. Um, I took it off of all of my previous episodes. <sighs> Whether or not, you know, it's a service that you would pay for, I, I think kind of is besides the fact. Um, I, I would much rather get to a point where, you know, I, I can keep this going and I can, I can um, continue to do episodes uh, strictly based on user support. user (laughs) too much of a software guy in me okay Uh, listener support so um, yeah I I am not gonna be running any ads anymore none at all whatsoever so if you do enjoy this please consider um, just you know even if it's like a dollar a month uh, because it would really help not only with keeping the the podcast up and moving but it would help a lot with um, with my research uh, it would help fund it which if if you do find this all interesting and, and if you do agree with a lot, you know a lot of what I'm saying then it is definitely research that you are likely to be very interested in seeing through so okay okay now now we're ready to move on okay okay here we go uh, so let's get kind of a running start here um, let's, let's open this by saying, you know, uh, as humans, right where we are right now, our ancestors, like our, our, entire evolutionary line just kind of was just tumbling through this, this craziness, right? This, this weird, I guess, riverbed with all these, you know, rocks and, and bumps and swerves and stuff. And these would be kind of your evolutionary, um, uh, uh, pressures or um, effects, things that happen, things that that cause the you know our ancestors or, or the waters that's going down to kind of be changed and altered and, and move direction and splash and have whirlpools, right? So you're just kind of tumbling down this thing without really having any any control of what's happening. And um, for some reason, you know, whatever reason, our branch of of uh, ancestry has just happened across the very specific evolutionary pressures that that uh, you know brought us to this point of being you know highly intelligent and and highly social so there's this point where it's no longer the environment that's that's shaping us well no that's not true it is but Uh, It's not just (laughs) the environment that's shaping us now. Now we reciprocate, right? We can now shape our environment. And and not only can we shape our environment, but we can learn how to shape it faster and manipulate things quicker and do it in better ways. And we can, you know, learn how to do this and, and distribute that information and teach others of our same species how to do those certain things now in, in retrospect when we look back on history and we you know review the things that have happened in the past it's quite obvious to us the the instances and and the you know the paradigms and and the different uh, beliefs right that that have permeated you know different cultures and different groups throughout history where we you know fucked up yeah, and it's really easy to look back on those things and say, well, how, how could they have done that? Like, how is that even possible? What were they thinking, you know? But here's the thing. As as humans evolved, the evolutionary pressures, as our minds were evolving and, and we were, you know, gaining more and more intelligence and, and becoming more logical, the evolutionary pressures kept us from from going too far from you know from the straight and narrow logical mind any any deviation you know any genetic deviation uh you know that would result in a more you know detrimentally detrimentally illogically formed mind would die pretty quickly i mean and an extremely illogical mind has no chance for survival so those sort of uh you know deviations from the from the um, logical norm were were pruned pretty quickly but remember it's not survival of the fittest it's survival of the generally sufficient right a purely logical mind is not necessary for survival and a you know a generally logical mind is sufficient for survival and it's only you know relatively recently that our our human network our social network the influence you know that the size of our social network that the the illogical and bad decisions that weren't pruned by you know by the natural evolutionary process the ones that were kind of illogical mostly logical logical enough to stay alive and and to survive but still had a lot of you know, bad ideas and bad thoughts. Uh, it's only recently that those, you know, the just mild deviations from, from you know, the, the normal, the mean uh, logical mind began to affect more and more people. So the more our social network grew, the more these, what were normally just kind of de- like little deviations that weren't, you know, detrimental to that individual, the more that those little deviants, began to affect more and more people. Now, these widespread effects that were affecting more and more people that were seeded from these illogical, you know, bad thoughts and ideas took on its own sort of evolutionary dynamic. And in the same way that, uh, you know, that you could have a mind that was, you know, not totally logical, deviated a little bit, caused problems, but wasn't bad enough to you know, cause its own <laughs> extinction. Um, so too these, these ideas and thoughts and social, uh, new social mechanics and, and practices that are being spread, these ideas, right, as, uh, as uh, Richard Dawkins called them, these memes that would spread through the culture. They weren't so illogical as to cause, you know, some great catastrophe, but they were just illogical enough to survive. And slowly begin to eat away at at the collective's health you see what I'm saying it it wasn't it's a stupid blatantly dumb idea that just killed a bunch of people that you know everybody bought into or whatever it was it's more insidious you know it sort of kind of doesn't seem like that better it kind of seems logical you know it spread the idea around but it actually causes problems that nobody sees for a while it kind of you know bruise and 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 maybe you don't even see any issues spring from it until much much later now that's why we can look back at those things and say oh my god dude how how on earth did they ever think that was okay and i believe that's why i i think they didn't know what we knew they didn't see the you know they didn't understand the dynamic of, of how that could have caused so many problems or whatever and we do now you know we know a lot more than they used to so we can understand how damaging that concept would have been now the book which inspired the quote <laughs> which was the opening quote for last episode right uh is debt the first five thousand years if you haven't read it i recommend it it is a very fascinating read but anyway, uh, this book really illustrates this, this problem in a, a very interesting way, right? This, this problem of these kind of um, cultural social memes that sort of uh, like kind of crawl and creep through a social structure and, and cause problems without anybody fully understanding why or how it's doing that, or that it even is doing it. Um, David Graver's main hypothesis, okay, the the idea the entire book is sort of predicated on is that um, most, well, the traditional economist sort of perspective on on how money came about uh, was kind of the idea that, you know, barter was sort of around first, and then that kind of you know evolved into money, and then from money came debt. Uh, Graber's argument is that that's not at all what happened. H- his uh, hypothesis is that debt was first, and then money, and then barter. And, and it's not just Graeber that thinks this. You know, uh, several anthropologists and h- historians uh, agree with uh, this concept because that's what they see when they study these cultures. The idea is that, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, uh, when everybody was, you know, sort of in these small tribes and, and everybody within each community knew each other very well. And there was a lot of trust between everybody. So everybody knew everybody, you know? So there was an increased amount of trust and IOUs just permeated commerce when neighbor A loaned neighbor B whatever they both knew and had kind of like a mental log of of that fact and whenever neighbor B could pay neighbor A back they did. So uh, in, in these kind of small I guess still tribalistic sort of cultures uh, they paid tribute to their gods and the way they paid tribute to their gods was in the form of uh, coinage right that this was originally what money was designed for. It was to pay tribute, to pay the debt that you cannot ever pay off, right? So, uh, technically, it wasn't even money. <laughs> it, it was tribute. So, how does something that you use to pay tribute to your God turn into something that you use in commerce? Well, Graeber and other like-minded individuals believed that this sort of saturation of, of, of I guess, tribute and its uh, transformation into currency came about through war and violence. I mean, kind of, I guess, uh, a little telling there, I guess. I mean, think about it. You you can't pay soldiers with IOUs. That's, <laughs> uh, how does that, how would that even work? You, you can't. So, uh, well, so, what would you pay them with? Well, the spoils of war, of course. And you know, if you know, Army A <laughs> goes and decimates Village B or whatever, and they go and just ravage their little village and take a whole bunch of stuff. What what better way to degrade the people you just conquered than to uh, extract their tributes? Right, take what they've all all given to their gods take what they've uh given as a tribute to the gods so uh that's kind of what uh graber believes how how this whole thing sort of played out and not only do you take their tributes (laughs) this is so messed up sorry i don't mean to be laughing but uh you take their tributes and then you give them not give them back you force them into servitude by forcing them to use your own currency right which they probably uh, melted down you know they melted down all the tributes and 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 made their own coins and then forced them to to pay them taxes like to pay their taxes and to use their coins as currency uh, what more effective way to enslave a people right so um, yeah so Graeber and other like-minded researchers and, and historians and individuals believe that coinage and money came into wide utility and circulation as a means to fund war and enslave the, uh, the people they conquer. I mean, I, I, <laughs> how does it make you feel? All right. Well, now we're ready to connect all the dots. So... Let's connect these freaking dots. First, evolutionary pressures shaped us into the most intelligent organism on the planet. By by far, at least as far as we understand, the most intelligent uh, creature on the planet. It's shaped us into highly social and cooperative uh, organisms. And (laughs) it's given us opposable thumbs. Um our intelligent <coughs> excuse me our intelligence <laughs> uh, has sort of given rise to this anomaly we call the ego and which also just kind of in turn uh, was shaped by evolution as a big part of the human social dynamic now there are two quite opposite polar ends of the uh, um, I guess of possible states of the ego, right? You have, on the one end, you have uh, extremely damaged, uh, underdeveloped, um, angry, frustrated, unfulfilled, right? Sort of ego. And on the other end, you've got uh, healthy, very well-developed, very cultured, and uh, usually very happy uh, individuals. Well, what what makes for a healthy ego? Healthy egos, you know, the, the, the sort of people that have healthy egos are people that have had, you know, their needs met. People that are self-actualizing. Now, uh, dysfunctional egos, people with unhealthy egos, sort of come from, well not sort of, comes from trauma. From not having your needs met. Now, there are three components f- for everybody, right, that that are necessary to having a healthy ego. and This is also, these are actually the three components in the, uh, the self-determination theory of motivation. This is what creates healthy internal motivation. Uh, the first is competence. Um, you know, having a good understanding of, of the situation at hand or the world around you or, you know, whatever your profession is, having a good solid grip on what it is that you're doing. Uh, The next one is autonomy, having control over your situation, having control over the project that you're working on, having a control over, uh you know, what you've been asked to do sort of a thing. And the last is relatedness, obviously, your relationship to those that you're working with or those in your family. These are three incredibly important components for developing a healthy ego. Now, people with a dysfunctional you know problematic ego with an unhealthy ego with a traumatized ego if you look at uh, right the the three components i just talked about uh, to developing a healthy ego competence autonomy relatedness and sort of kind of flip it around right look at what would be the opposite of those things well um, for competence would be a failing to understand what is happening a failing to have a good solid mental grip on your current project or situation. Um, The opposite of autonomy would be the lack of control, right? The lack of the ability to get out of an undesirable situation, the lack of ability to uh, manipulate your environment to better suit your needs. And then of course the opposite of relatedness, would be little or no relatedness no relationships or relationships that are poisonous or dangerous or damaging uh with peers coworkers family friends that sort of thing so uh, you can already see how how these three components and or their uh their polar opposites right could deeply impact somebody's Ego, or who they are, or how they—you know—how they respond to the world, how they protect themselves from the world, how they interact with the world. Okay, now this is where we're going to really tie this together tightly, and this is going to make an incredible amount of sense. When we were still tribal, or when we were still—you know—separated into fairly small groups. Remember, uh, like what we were talking about um, when they used IOUs, when when. Um, where communities were small, personal. Everybody knew everybody else. There was a high level of trust. These were little societies where the um, incidents of individuals with competence, with a job to do, that knew it well, with autonomy, that had you know the ability to do their job the way they wanted to do it, and that knew everybody, that had good relationships these were societies where that was very likely you know that was a very likely scenario where most people had you know were, were fulfilled were, they had what they needed they were mentally stable they had good egos they had strong bonds with each other there was a lot of trust it's I guess the IOU phase now as humanity grew and groups separated from each other and and you know people went to new places and founded new cities or whatever there was there was less trust between these separate communities and there were there was an increased uh possibility that you know one community might go to war with another community or go into battle uh, over resources over uh just you know any sort of type of dispute and when those things happened, right? When uh, some uh, community was conquered by another, of course, prisoners and slaves were taken, right? And so if you think about it, this whole dynamic, <laughs> as fucking crazy as it is, it makes sense. I mean, you start with a small tribal-like culture, right? Uh, it gets larger and larger, and the larger it gets, even though everything's running on you know IOUs and, and trust and everybody's giving back to the whole, right? And the larger it gets, um, the more pressure is put on the leaders. And so the more frustrated the leader is. And usually there's a lineage to leadership, uh, especially in ancient cultures. And so the frustrated leader, well, I, who's he going to take it out on? I, I would assume he takes it out on his on his kids right so the frustrated leader takes it out on his kids and which damages their ego right it causes trauma and the kids are a little messed up so they grow up become the leader the culture is even larger so it's even more pressure on an even more messed up uh, leader and so where does he take his frustration out Uh, on his kids and that cycle perpetuates over and over until the culture is very large and the leader is super crazy and he does a lot of crazy murderous stuff and what does he do? He decides to wage war, take over another place conquer them, uh, take all their tribute and melt it down into coins with his face on it and makes everybody use it I mean, pretty <laughs> pretty typical uh, historical occurrence, right? Okay so what do you think are our attributes that we have, uh, been generously gifted by the process of evolution, our intelligence, our superior intelligence, our capacity for intricate social, you know, interactions and cooperation, the need, right, for others, are these good? Is this the sort of dynamic that we need in order to deal with something like a great filter? Well, it seems to me that the issue with everything that we've been talking about, okay, the I guess, the weak links that have caused the collapse, that have caused the sort of uh, degradation to these, you know, anomalous, weird uh, instances, has to do with, how tight you can keep a social structure um, and also keep it large. It seems like there's sort of this size that when it gets so large that the uh, relationships within the structure begin to become not so personal. And when that happens, you begin to have divisions and things begin to sort of break up in that manner uh, you can have uh, the the structure divided into two structures you have people trying to take over other um cultures that sort of a thing it it seems like the answer would be to come up with a way so that everybody is educated because I feel like a lot of the issues here right come from people not knowing and not understanding what is happening, not having a good mental grasp on things as well as a trust dynamic that it doesn't seem like uh, being able to trust others in your group as, as readily when, when it's too large, when you, when it becomes impersonal, when you don't know everybody. So I think the fact that we're a social organism, and the fact that we are highly intelligent, at least as far as, you know, <laughs> organisms on our planet, uh, they're good qualities up to a point when the culture gets so big, you begin to lose trust because you don't know everybody. There's, there's uh, the inability to get to know everybody personally, which causes a, a barrier of trust between you and the people that you would be uh, interacting with um, as far as, you know, exchanging goods or IOUs right so it seems to me that if we can get over this trust issue and I think you can by just simply ensuring that everybody has what they need you know what I mean if everybody has what they need and they're fulfilled and they're happy then you can trust them it's it there is no uh, like uh drive to distrust Nobody's going to come steal all your shit if you know that everybody's taken care of, everybody's happy, and everybody has what they need, and everybody's doing what makes them feel good. So, I don't think our social nature nor our intelligence are bad things. I think they're good things. They have limits, though, where under certain circumstances, they can cause problems, right? The dynamics, under some very specific situations can cause those uh those traits that we have to either allow or cause some very specific problems so for example if everybody is taken care of has what they need right so you've got rid of the trust thing what about intelligence well intelligence remember that the uh sort of deviation from what is what is logical what is correct what is good what is helpful to us to keep those those dangerous memes from perpetuating throughout a culture perhaps ensuring that everybody is well educated would minimize that and anybody with a damaged ego you know that wants power or wants to cause problems can't because those dangerous memes cannot you know, cannot uh, perpetuate throughout the culture because it's exactly those things that have taken us from survival of the just good enough to the survival of the shittiest. (laughs) Anyway, I guess uh, that's about it. Uh, I will see you guys next time. Bye. In the interest of transparency, the great filter podcast is a Phobos tech production. All proceeds go to funding the STEM Theory Research Project and other Phobos Tech research endeavors. If you enjoyed this episode, please show your support by sharing, liking, and subscribing. You may also help support our efforts with a small monthly donation. Thanks.